Designing Digital Literacy. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Designing Digital Literacy, a new series with me, Tamaris Fahani, and Chris Winston-Longley. Together, we have designed free lesson plans for you to use in the classroom, which are fully resourced, and this podcast series aims to explain and explore our thinking behind them. We will also discuss the importance of digital literacy in schools, as well as our take on how we would like to see this implemented across the education sector. Chris has over 25 years experience as an English teacher, while I've been producing content and created the Checkpoint brand. Anyway, you'll find a bit more about us in the coming episodes, but for now, in this one, we explore the concept of digital literacy, how you can meet your curricular needs through our lesson plans, and how video games can be used as a stimulus to get your children's undivided attention in class. One of the things that really upsets me, Chris, as you know, and and it's something that's been inspired by you, really, is this idea of digital literacy. I was never really sure about digital literacy when we first started doing this stuff. In fact, I had no idea that the government was actually looking at digital literacy as as a thing. Obviously, through my children, all I see is this safety online stuff. But And that's all great. I think it's really important that children learn how to be safe online, to be aware of the dangers online. That's an education that needs to, to happen. But I think what we've identified is that it's not just about safety. When we talk about literacy, I mean, if we define literacy, literacy is being able to understand, communicate using a language or a form. And that's not what's being taught within digital literacy within schools. So can you just enlighten us a little bit more about what digital literacy is, how it's perceived within the curriculum, and whether or not we're fulfilling those requirements outlined by government? What it is, is not easy to define because the internet is so huge, the whole digital world is so large. So it's hard to to pull it down to just one or two simple statements. But you're right, it's the ability to think digitally, like we used to think, well, we we do think language-based. We have textbooks, we use language, and and the people are always asking in school, and and this sounds a bit like I'm going off track, but in school, you are always asked in an English lesson, why do I have to learn English? I already speak English, I am English, why am I learning English? And I say, you might understand, you might better speak English at your level and and what you've learned and and everything and your own understanding. I said, but English itself is a tool. It's a method that the world operates using. Um, So everything was written in textbooks and everybody's thoughts are written down. And the more you understand language and the more you can decode what is actually being said to you or how it might be manipulating you, then the more agency you have in the world. And if you think of that, if I take that to an extreme, when you're in a courtroom and it's legal language coming from barristers, they are really working at a language level with legal language that most of us cannot access. And and for us, quite often the truth or, or the justice goes out the window because the language itself has allowed for some other outcome. So language is an incredibly powerful tool if you understand it. You need to learn to read because the information used to be printed. Once we got the printing press and information was in books, and we did this, of course, through the Industrial Revolution, and and we had mechanics institutes and all sorts of things, and people invested in education. And what they meant was reading and writing so they could drive the technology of the time. And 
but people used that reading then to enable them to form unions, for them to read the law. They, they began getting interested in other areas. And now information and all that knowledge is being stored digitally and is coming through social media, is coming through the internet when you do a web search. It's going to come through the metaverse soon. Um, and so if you didn't know how to read, you couldn't access the library. If you don't know how to read the internet, yes, you can access it. But one of the problems I find with it is that the access is being manipulated and controlled by people like Google, like they are measuring your searches. They're looking at what you're interested in. Uh, you called it the field of diminishing something or other, where when you're searching, it's, it's putting things at the top for you on searching that it knows you're interested in because it's tracking your searches. So in actual fact, you're not anymore accessing the whole of the internet and all the information. You're only tracking what Google are giving you. But we're not aware that it's doing that because they don't make it clear they're doing that. The so you use DuckDuckGo as your search engine and Brave Browser as your browser. Just a bit of a note there for anybody that's interested to, to know how to avoid being tracked. Sorry, Chris, carry on. So what I'm saying is if you couldn't read, then you could be manipulated by the people who could read in the hierarchy mm -hmm. and controlled by them. Once you've learned to read basically, you've got a certain level of agency within the society you're in. If you go to university and you really learn to read, you begin to analyze language, you begin to break it down. And then when I'm, when I'm listening to a political speech, for instance, I'm listening to the repetition, the lists of three, I'm listening to all sorts of, of tricks they're using. All oh, right, yeah, of course, that's fine. And I've got a question in my head that I would ask, but of course the opposition never asked that question. They ask something else that they're interested in. Um, but I'm able to analyze and question and think, well, I don't trust what I'm being told here. And then I can go away and research and, and see what information I can get. Now, I used to do that through books. Or we used to do it through newspapers. We used to trust the newspapers. You knew they were politically biased. The Independent came out saying it was independent. Um, and so we used to trust the news that we got. But again, you're only getting a fraction of what's out there. Nothing's being put in context. It's just a front page splash for a day. And... The internet is doing the same thing, but on such a, a huge level, it's all encompassing. And I think it's doing it in a way that people are totally unaware of. So digital literacy has to be not just how do you safely search, but how are searches conducted and what are the big companies? What is Google up to when it's, how is it making its money? How is it providing the service? What's in it for them? Where are they trying to take you and the internet? How are they trying to manipulate you and control you? And if you don't know how the internet works and you don't know how they're controlling you, then you, you can't respond to that. You, you've got no agency. So on that note, then obviously that's an important thing for awareness and being aware, but let's come back to our lesson plans because digital literacy defined in our lesson plans is very different. Yeah, it's something very different. I mean, I, there I was talking really about how the government see it, how you have to be safe online, you have to protect yourself online. You have to know that images are going to be stored forever. And I don't think people have yet clocked on what no. that means. They are yeah. they are building um, the storage centres now, aren't they? In the Arctic or whatever. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. And people, even though the Arctic shelf is about to fall down and kill us all. But hey, that's a whole other story for another time. Every, <laughs> every text and everything is being stored, and I just think that the. The scale of that is not unlike we can't understand the scale of stars and space. I don't think people can understand the scale 
of the data and the information and the way it can be because we're not being taught no. how it works. We obviously are aware of this when we do our, our lesson plans, but we focus on something very different, which I'm going to let you kind of explain a little bit more. But I do want you to also talk about this kind of holistic vision of teaching where we encompass and incorporate all the subject matters. We don't silo them. And I think that's a really important part of comprehension and understanding and imparting of knowledge and acquisition of knowledge. That if you're able to, if you're not very good at maths, but you can relate it in another way that you do understand through geography or through, I don't know, history or whatever, then there are ways that we, we do that. So we look at digital literacy very differently. We, we believe that the safety stuff is, is, has been dealt with and is being dealt with properly. And we reinforce that. That whole idea of being safe online is, is hugely important. We've done loads of stuff on big data in the main magazine. We're very protective over the, the, the content that the children provide. We, we give them a platform. But it's more than that, isn't it, Chris? It is much more. It's, I mean, to put it in a nutshell, intrapersonal skills is what we're talking about. Because we and explain, please, what intrapersonal. Because everybody thinks that it's interpersonal. They're interpersonal, and yes. it's not. It's intrapersonal. Yes, interpersonal skills is your is your personality really, your ability to work with other people in a group. Your and traits, to yeah. Well, um, the intrapersonal skills are the ones that everyone talks about, but don't know they're called that. Like resilience, determination, courage, bravery. Yeah, right. All those things and. One of those, which, interesting, the House of Lords talked about when they were talking about digital literacy, and other people do talk about it, but it's this idea of failure. Yeah. Of taking a risk and failing. Which we all, by the way, we all, we're a big believers that people need to fail. You can't. We almost build failure into the land <laughs> that the, the children will be. You will all fail. <laughs> <laughs> We, we sort of build an experimentation model where a child can go down an avenue and then if it doesn't work, fine. They learn something about themselves and they learn something about the avenue they went down. What it doesn't do is undermine their sense of self. And the thing is, this all comes from gaming. Our digital literacy is particularly geared to gaming. We're not in the, in the, in the world of educating everybody about digital literacy. Um, but gaming in particular, the gaming world is a huge part of digital literacy uh, uh, the digital world that's out there you've got the internet but gaming is huge it's, it's a massive industry it's bigger than i think anybody comprehends how large it actually is it's bigger just system. to put it in perspective it's bigger than hollywood and the music industry combined and what we're seeing now is a lot of video game technology making its way into films, a lot of composers making their way away from films and into video games. Um, but what's more important is, is that video games allows an infrastructure for the advancement of technological things such as CGI. So, yeah, video games are huge. And we acknowledge that people are playing them. And in actual fact, we're on the second or third generation now, depending how far you go back. To oh, no, we're on, on the modern generation. We're on the fifth or sixth generation now. So, right. And, and there, are, there are three or four generations before that. So the, it's not very well established, but it has been around a long time. But in reality, my generation, and I'm 62, <laughs> are... <laughs> My generation are not really gamers. No. Whereas my children, who are in their 30s, are gamers and still game. And their children, my grandchildren, are gamers. 
And so you have a situation now where if a child is in school and they're playing Minecraft or Roblox or whatever, if they're playing those games, if the child is playing them at home, then the chances are their parent who is going to be in their 20s, 30s, is also in those games or is playing their own uh, time yeah, of game. Yeah. So we recognise that, that that became what we called cultural capital, that everyone is always talking about cultural capital, the capital you need to exist in the culture you're in. And gaming is something that people do. Rather than go home and watch television now, or it'll take over from soap operas and things, from EastEnders and things, people go home and they game. So we realised that that cultural capital could be used because of the nature of games. And that's another aspect of digital literacy, is to try and make people aware that games have been misrepresented. Gaming became a spotty teenager sitting in front of a computer, absolutely obsessed, doing nothing and never going out, never eating. We even had cases of being told in America that children had died in front of a computer screen, obsessed by gaming. And this is the image that was presented to us. This was the picture of gaming that was given to us. The early games, of course, a lot of them were pandering to quite negative areas. I would say no more than anything else. When I was a kid, I grew up watching cowboys shooting each other. To be honest with you, Chris, I don't buy that (laughs) argument because I think you, as, look, from an editorial perspective, if you're looking at that or if you're a production perspective or whatever, you cater to an audience and you cater to a time. We could argue that FHM and Loaded magazines weren't necessarily the greatest thing, but they existed and they were catered towards a certain audience. Gaming is the same. They had a very clear definition of who that audience was. And before the proliferation of kind of the Wii and and the app stores and and that kind of stuff, there was a a demographic for gaming because you had to market to them and sell the product and, and do all of that. So I think like anything, like music, like TV, like film, like anything, these are growing pains, right? But the lessons that we create take all of that into consideration and they use that cultural capital they don't use abstract ideas or abstract language from i mean you wrote an incredible piece about shakespeare be damned and how we've spoken about this a lot how shakespeare is not relevant anymore first of all it was never written for children it, second of all it's in a different language i mean you could argue that it's a whole different language because it's it, it's it's old english and third of all how relevant is it to society today it doesn't fit so children are disconnected and can't engage with it. Whereas if we bring, which we did with 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 Sonic and we did with Mario, children immediately know that, and that's what you're talking about, cultural capital, right? That's They understand that. And not only that, everybody understands it. Everybody knows who Sonic, globally, in the same ways that everybody knows who Shakespeare is globally, but people aren't interested in Shakespeare, whereas people are interested in their current cultural icons so we use that but we never ask them to play the games and i think that's a very different thing as well which is which which kind of needs to be discussed there's nothing wrong with shakespeare per se he's a brilliant writer etc etc as were many other writers that are not focused on um and so he comes with a lot of baggage and so he's not relevant to anybody i don't think really in the culture but i think more important that he's not the best means by which to deliver education if you're going to deliver reading and, and writing, and don't use Shakespeare, as you say, because different languages, etc. So what we're saying is in our lesson plans that one of the best ways of delivering the interpersonal skills or the subject-specific substantive and disciplinary knowledge, which is inherent in the programs of study for each subject, we think the tool for doing that is games, that there is a way of doing that, but not in the way that games have been so far perceived 
in education in that you play the game and it somehow teaches you. That's the same as watching a film and it suddenly takes away your need for a film degree because you've watched a film. Games can only be used as the, the stimulus, if you like. And because they're the stimulus, they will draw the child in. The child goes, oh, I understand this. Their own cultural capital, their own knowledge of gaming, it doesn't matter what platform they're on or whether they know Mario or Sonic or whatever, they understand gaming because they can already do it. They're professionals in that field. They are players. It's like footballers understand football when they watch it. So we use that, the fact that the child already understands what you're talking about. The way they work, when you start reading them and understanding them and, and exploring them and analysing them, they develop intrapersonal skills, yeah. along with incredible content because as you've pointed out to me, and as I'm discovering more and more, their locations are absolutely accurate for, for geography things. When you're building a city in a simulator with sewerage systems and all the rest, they are based in real life data. They're not just invented. They, they, you can actually run a very real uh, simulation of something. And in actual fact, that's what computers do. They run simulations. And we do it all the time in industry and in and scientific things and space and everything. But games do it as well. A lot of games use real-time data. So if you're talking about, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about kind of the grown-up ones, like EVE Online, which is a space simulator, they use real-time data from NASA. In fact, so much so that they are number crunching. Um, they relate directly to the industry. So not only is it an entertainment thing, but you're helping do research, for example, of exploration of space by flying out to those places to allow those mathematical equations to to adapt and they get interpreted, scaled, and then sent back to places like NASA, like the European Space Agency. It, it is quite impressive, the influence that games has. Not only that, but the way in which you interact, the user interfaces, the user design, all of that stuff filters through. So it's so much more than the cultural capital. It's engaging with real life data, as you say, and knowing that that data We've had it before, the European Space Agency, the head of operations, the guy that flies the solar orbiter said he learned more about his job through Kerbal Space Program than he did through his degree because it's applied knowledge, right? And you can fail, you can see, you can go back and you can change stuff. So yeah, so the our lessons, what they do is they, they call on that, the child is the professional almost in the room, the child is the expert, the child already understands the discipline, they already understand gaming, but they're doing it as a consumer of gaming. Yeah. What we want to do is make them creators, make them more part of the process, make them understand it. There's a tie into this in that the industry and that the House of Lords talked in their report, they talked about the opportunities presented by the digital world. Well, I don't think schools deal with the opportunities either in gaming. I mean, if the, if the industry is that big, then there are opportunities within it to work. So we take children who have got this knowledge, not all of them, I and mean, I'm not, uh, not all children have all access. That's another one of these misnomers. Yeah, now. of course. Every child has got a PlayStation, not every child has access. Um, we discovered this when we had to go online during lockdown, that lots of children suddenly didn't have internet access in all sorts they were discovering, when, when the assumption was that every child is playing games all night. But it is actually something, it has the peer pressure the desirability of gaming. I wouldn't imagine there are many children in a schoolroom where when you say we're going to look at gaming, you go, oh, do we Well, we've to? got proof of that, haven't we, Chris? We've got multiple examples of going in school and going, we're using a video game for the lesson today, and the response has just been insane. Yes. 
So you take all that and you're, you're on a winner before you ever start. But then what we do is we use whatever particular strength the game has, wherever it's, whatever it's aiming at, whatever it's looking at, that we've identified in our looking at the game as being a viable learning opportunity that the game is presenting. And we then link that to our knowledge of the programmes of study, which we have an in-depth knowledge of, of all of them. Most primary school teachers are expected to have a knowledge of all yeah. the programmes of study. So we have an overview. I spend a lot of time reading Ofsted reviews of subjects, um, reading the programmes of study, keeping up to date with all this. So then we write a lesson which is actually based on, say, geography attainment targets, like how to read a map or scale or spatial awareness. And we take that. But we use a game to engage the children, but we never play the game. Yeah, it's really important that that's known. Yeah, it's mentioned and we have excerpts from it. We have excerpts from the game where the game is doing something and then we examine that, we analyse that. So what Mm -hmm. we do is we turn the game into a still image or into a a soundbite, just like you would teach film and go look at this camera angle or look at this cinematography. Why is it being done? What are you being told? It becomes a learning resource in its own right. Yes, So the children are hooked because it's gaming. You stay within that because then when you're working in the subject area, you can keep relating it back to the game. Or sometimes we leave the game altogether. We we go right into the interpersonal skills instead. And we develop a lesson which is looking at resilience or uh, risk taking. Uh, We did one for the NPQML Mm. where we were in secondary school and we had an English teacher do an NPQML based on gaming. So the children built a board game and it worked just like a computer game. Animal it, Crossing, yeah. You had you took risks and you could fail and you could get sent back and you could be reborn as you are in a game. And all the things that games do when you know when kids are on levels, they get killed over and over and over again. I mean, this is one of the things again about digital literacy, about the understanding. Kids like YouTubers, they like to watch someone just opening toys or they will watch other people's lives quite happily. And they watch YouTubers. And I watch gameplay on games I haven't played. So I I have to watch the gameplay for four hours or whatever. And you realise as you're listening to them and you're watching it, they'll suddenly say something like, it took me 15 attempts to get through this, but this is how you do it. They don't show you the 15 attempts. They've edited their gameplay down. It looks like they've just done this fluid game beginning to end four hours. It took them 15 hours because they kept failing until they worked out what to do. Now, that failure isn't it. You know, you might think as a child, oh, I've got to get good and be able to do a game all the way through. So we have to deal with that misinformation from YouTube. The actual fact these professional gamers who are so good actually are doing what you're doing and they're failing all the time. What they have is persistence, determination, resilience. They know that risk taking and failure are part of playing a game. Frustration is part of playing the game. My son experiences that now uh, in a game he plays. He's a teenager, so he's playing more games we don't bring into the classroom, but he plays with other online players. And he gets very frustrated by them because he said, why didn't he save me? If he'd saved me, we'd all have got out. Why? It's so frustrating. And I'd go, well, what are you going to do about that? He says, well, I just save people. I do it. And hopefully they'll see me do it. And they'll realize that you should save each other because that's the whole point, the teamwork. So he's learning all these skills about cooperation and learning and tolerance. That's what we're doing in the lessons. We are talking about games. We are, we're not playing them, but we're talking about them and how they work and we're decoding them. And we are developing not only national curriculum 
attainment targets through them specifically, but we are developing intrapersonal skills at the same time, and all that is made clear. It's all explicit. Nothing is implicit in information. It's all explicit, and the teacher is told, now discuss what they just did and why they did it, and that's the disciplinary knowledge that Ofsted want children to know. When they're talking about history, they want substantive knowledge of historical dates and, and what happened, but they want to know how historians create their take on something, whether their own, why the Roman Empire collapsed. There are lots of views about why it collapsed, but how are those views formed? Mm. And which ones are more logical or rational or more acceptable? And how are they formed in context? Because you may discover something that you don't want to tell your culture. Yeah about like yeah. that women can write novels for instance well we know we know we know all of this from the japanese feudal wars and and what was recorded and what wasn't recorded we've seen it in the opposite direction with uh, post second world war with the germans and and how they constantly refer back to the stuff so it's about how you want to portray it but i think for me what's really good about our lesson plans and there are education otherwise so if you are home learners as well there are stuff there for you it's about project-based learning and, and and we really believe that it's about empowering the children to do their own research but also not leaving the teachers blind uh, one of the things that you haven't mentioned which i just think is really important is that all of the lesson plans that we provide not only do they hit attainment targets not only do they hit multiple kind of uh, subject matters with different interpersonal skills but all the resources are provided you don't have to go off and do any research everything that you need to teach that lesson is provided within that lesson plan and that was one of the key things which I spoke to you about when we first started talking about this why would teachers spend time looking at something if they had to do more they have no time anyway so we try to provide everything so it is literally a plug and play situation for teachers to do and the beauty with our lesson plans first of all they're free so go to checkpointkids.com if you want to have a look at them look under teacher or home learning you'll find all of our lesson plans are available to download but they also, they're not just for one lesson. If you're a teacher that can see the potential in these, you can really push these out over six, seven, eight lessons if you wanted to. And we're working on something that will allow you to make it easier for you to kind of modulize, if you like, those, those elements. I think, look, video games are really powerful. They're really important. They are a language in their own right. They're an industry in their own right. They have other industries. In, if you want to be a lawyer, if you want to be a YouTuber, the reason that I did this was because I wanted to show parents that video games wasn't a bad thing. Screen time wasn't a bad thing if it was managed properly. It allows for social connection, especially during the lockdown. My children absolutely kept in touch with all of their friends by playing video games, by playing Roblox and Minecraft and creating private servers and, and getting involved in, in all of that stuff. But it also allows people to see that video games, when you speak to children, oh, I want to be a YouTuber, I want to be a YouTuber. No, you can be a lawyer, you could be a narrative designer, you could be an artist, you could be a UX designer, you could be a, you could do anything that you like within the game space. They all exist. And I think that's another really important thing. As we move into and coming back to this digital literacy, digital literacy is about understanding how you fit in a digital world in the future. And I think that's what we're trying to do, is prepare the children to understand, because they all play. And I remember one of the first things that you said to me was when I said to you, ask your children if they play games. This is when you were teaching. And you refused. And then one day you decided to ask them and you said, who went horse riding? You had one hand go up. Who played football? One hand go up. And I think you said to me that when you said, who plays video games? Literally every child, bar one, I think, put their hand up in your class. So this kind of ubiquitous nature is really important for teachers to understand that this can be used as a tool. Using games, we can impart knowledge about digital literacy. We can impart
impart knowledge about intrapersonal skills. We can impart knowledge, relevant knowledge to children to see how they fit in the future. And I think our lesson plans do well and, and they're available. <laughs> They've done well before. So so have a look at them, have a read through them. And they're all free. Like I say, checkpointkids.com. And any feedback would be available. We have a, we're at Checkpoint Kids if you want to tweet us. We're info at checkpointkids.com as well if you want to message us. Chris, thank you as always for helping me navigate this space. I do have a lot more to say. <laughs> so, yes, I, I really enjoy these conversations. And yes, I look forward to the next one. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time. Brought to you by Checkpoint. Download the lesson plans at checkpointkids.com. Designing digital literacy. Back soon.